Alfred Hitchcock podcast back from the dead. I'm your host, Brandon Shamutella. Joining me as always is my ever constant co-host, the spooky Chris Haig. <laughs> How are you doing, Chris? I'm all the better for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that introduction's only gonna work once because it's gonna work for the people who've been following along. And waiting a year, yeah. But as soon as somebody just goes and randomly catches it up, and they're just going to listen to them all in a row, they're going to be like, "What the hell?" Well, you know what? They, they, they can look at the release dates and work it out for themselves if they're confused. So, yes. yeah, but no, it's very good to be back. It's very good to be back with both of you. So, yeah, excellent. And joining us as well is my ever constant sidekick that digs bodies up from the ground so that I can operate on them, Tom Caldwell. How are you guys doing? I uh, I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, this will be good to get back at the show. We we took a hiatus, as they say in the professional podcasting world. And because it was a year, it was like a really, really, really hiatus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like really high. So we're all relaxed and rejuvenated mm. now. Yes, I, I am back. I am back from Thailand. That's where I've been for the last year. You guys can believe me or not. <laughs> Hiding in the jungle. Hiding hiding in the jungle away from everything. I'm glad to be back, yeah. though. Uh, you know, watching this torn curtain, um, it, it, we left it. You know, it's frustrating because I went through a bunch of stuff last year, and I, we were on, like, such an awesome momentum. We'd done all those Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes, and we were, like, moving right along, and I had that thing planned out. We'd been recording those things for a year and a half, so they would all release on a specific time, and then I'm like, yes, and we'll get this done, and then I'm like, you know what? F this show. I'm gone for a year. So, it's kind of kind of too just it just like was like frustrating to leave it yeah. for that long too you know and leave it when we yeah did. i mean to, to be fair i think each of us i think because we've done it so consistently from like 2016 i think there was part of it that kind of like we need at some stage to refill the tanks and just take a bit of yeah. time regardless of whether it was you or if it was me or tom you know i think we all just kind of needed a bit of a a breather um but it was, it was all your fault chris i mean I was going to say a word that I don't want to say on this because it's a very family-friendly podcast. So I shan't say it. I shall say it's up for discussion. However, I am thrilled to be back with you both, even though you've just accused me of something heinous. How dare you? (laughs) Um, But no, yeah, it's really nice to be back, and it's good because you sort of appreciate it. Like I said, we did this 2016. We did it for 2016, 2017. Did it for six years straight. You kind of of Mm -hmm. did a bit of a... A, a break to, and then you kind of appreciate it even more because you know I love doing this with you guys. So, and it feels very comfortable on a cold winter afternoon to be doing this. Um, it feels very normal, and yeah. it's a good time of year to be inside working on a podcast. Mm-hmm. I found my shirt. I'm wearing it. Look. Good oh, my! Right I'm going to yes. say mine. I've still obviously got mine, but I've got not that one. I've got the black version. That's the it's the black with the orange. Oh, I still okay. got that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm I'm gonna dig it out for next time. Um, oh yeah, I remember that one too. I I couldn't find that one. I would, I don't know where I put that one. So, but I got this yeah. one anyways. Got one of them. So, well, uh, you guys been watching any Hitchcock over the last year? Not a lot. No. No. Do you know I didn't for like the first six months after we stopped, just because we watch it so consistently because we were doing films and Hitchcock presents. That was our big yeah. sort of thing for the past uh, before we took our break. So I didn't watch anything, and then I started watching, like, the old favourites, like, you know, Rear Window, Psycho, Vertigo, all that sort of thing. Um, But no, apart from from sort of my old favourites and everything, I've not really dipped back into um, older Hitchcock, but, yeah, and I I think it was good. It was just, like you said, it was a break, bit of a palate cleanser, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't watched uh, a ton of Hitchcock over the last little bit. I've been following along with Annie and Catherine. Mm. They're on a break right now, but I've been watching the episodes. Uh, but I did want to say about this awesome deal I got just because we're talking Hitchcock. Yeah. So we have a thing in Regina here called Virage Sale, and it's like you can go on and buy used things. Oh, cool. And the Alfred Hitchcock, The Ultimate Collection. So it's got 17 Blu-rays. Okay, so there's 15 movies plus a disc that has seven episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and three episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Plus wow. like a bonus bunch of, uh, you know, bonus features and whatnot. Like, this thing goes for, like, a hundred and something dollars on Amazon still with all these Blu-ray transfers. I got this thing on Virage Sale for 25 bucks Canadian. That's, like... That's a good deal. That's, like, less than 20 pounds. Oh, yeah, that's about, like, 16, 17 pounds in the UK. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. What a deal. I know. So, I'm going to go back and watch those all on Blu-ray. I think it's everything, basically, from Psycho on. There's... Or, no, no, it's even older than that. So, there's... Psycho, The Birds, Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest, Man Who Knew Too Much, Marnie, Saboteur, Shadow of a Doubt, Rope, Trouble with Harry, Torn Curtain, Topaz Frenzy, and Family Plot. So, that's a really good collection. Good. Yeah, it is. I need I need so, some Hitchcock Blu-rays. I keep picking them up in like little, you know, like individual ones. I could do with a decent box set. I'm, that, that is my yeah, 2023 nice goal: one. is to find a decent Hitchcock Blu-ray set. We're going to start a GoFundMe for you, Chris. Dear God, no! Not in this, not in this economy. Please save your money or give it to someone who deserves it more. That's very sweet, but I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Anywho, any anything else you guys want to banter on before we jump into the movie here? Anything you want to, you know, mock me for or just tell the audience about? I love that day you were like, did you grow a mustache? <laughs> I did, I did, and I told wow. Chris he has to call me Mister Mustache Man. Oh no, 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 no! no. I hardly recognized no, no, no. you. No, first it was Mustache Man because when the screen popped up, we've, we've, I mean, we've been talking throughout the year. It's not like we've not spoken to each other, but I didn't realize he'd grown the mustache. So when he popped up on the Zoom call, I went, "Oh, hey, really happy to see you." By the way, did you know you've grown a mustache? And you were like, "Yeah, I've grown it since the summer." And then it was Mustache Man. You're like, "You must call me Mustache Man." So now for it to be Mr. Mustache Man, I'm like, what's it going to be by the end of the episode? Uh, sir, Mr. Mustache sir, Man. Sir, Mr. Mustache Man, sir. Okay. The first. <laughs> the first. <laughs> that could be the title of a Hitchcock film, The Mustache hey, Man. I, I, I just want to point out here, Tom, I'll just tell this to you so Chris can't hear it. So he didn't notice I got a mustache, so what's the, th- what's the thing now? Tell me you're not following me on social media without telling me you're not following me on social media? Yeah. Hang on, you just said you deleted all your social media. You were like, oh yeah, no, no. Facebook, Twitter, I'm not on TikTok. Touche. Sort of I'm going to say, you've got me and Tom who were kind of bringing up the, the TikTok <laughs> side of things. Tom doing a far better job than I am. Um, you know, you're like, oh well, tell me you're not following social media. And I'm like, like what, the smoke signals you send over from Regina, Saskatchewan? <laughs> yes, you're right. I, that's true. I just wanted to poke you. <laughs> So, I've I'm missed sorry. this. All right. Oh, hey, oh, guess what? Guess what I did in the last year? What? Knives Out. Oh, have you seen it? I didn't watch it yet. Oh, no, still oh, haven't. <laughs> Nor have I seen the sequel. I it's take, been a year. Can you I believe it? I still... Every nice thing I ever said back. I hate you so much <laughs> for getting my hopes up like that. I'll tell you what has been in the past year and. For context, dear listeners, if you've not noticed, um, the town in which Tom and Brandon are from, Regina, Saskatchewan, has one very famous res- I don't know, resident kind of person they hail from, um, who is now a Marvel superhero, which is very cool. Miss Tatiana Maslany. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tatiana yeah. Maslany. Otherwise known as so. She-Hulk, because that premiered in the last year. Yeah. Um, and I was just... Ve- I, it's weird to be proud, but I was like, yeah. I mean, this is not her first, though. Ryan Reynolds is from Regina too, isn't he? Is he? Yeah. yeah. Well, no. The um, the character is considered to be from Regina. Dead. Oh, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. The Fictitious character. Stuff. I was. So, I was like, okay. okay, we've definitely not brought Ryan Reynolds up before. I mean, we should, but yeah, never mind. Anyway, well, Shatner Shatner lived here. Did he? Yeah, William Shatner went to school here. Yeah. Leslie Nielsen was born here. Yeah. This is so cool. And 
There's a really good Hitchcock podcast <laughs> that's based out of Regina. Yeah, yeah, they, they so. kind of know what they're talking about. Sometimes they got their heads up their asses, but, you know, most of the time they're pretty good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, let's keep... Our, our new I don't, can you imagine if there is, if there is another uh, Hitchcock podcast in Regina and we've accidentally started a feud with them? Because they're like, listen, going, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> Taking pots Yeah, that, can, that should be our new tagline, though, yeah. Good evening... Not always having their heads up their ass. There you go. <laughs> okay, let's jump into the discussion on the movie here. Today we are talking about Torn Curtain. Chris, can you give us a quick summary of this film uh, that you loved and was so fast-paced <laughs> that you wished could have had an extra half an hour? Don't spoil it, okay? Right. <laughs> so, Torn Curtain. American physicist Michael Armstrong, played by Paul Newman, shocks his friends and family by defecting to East Germany to work with the Soviets during the height of the Cold War. Even his fiancée, played by Julie Andrews, is surprised by the move, but when she follows him behind the Iron Curtain, she discovers that her husband-to-be isn't a spy, but a double agent, working to discover Soviet nuclear secrets. As they plot a way to escape back to America, his cover is blown, putting both of their lives in jeopardy. Dun dun dun. You know, I've we were thinking of getting new curtains, but I bet you iron curtains would like really keep the sun out. Mm. Sunlight, air. What do you think? <laughs> air, yeah. Heat, <laughs> heat, yeah. Okay, so iron curtain. Uh, no, sorry, torn curtain has a release date of July fourteenth, nineteen sixty six, and a running time of well, it says one hundred twenty eight minutes, but Chris told me he thought it was like nine hundred twenty eight minutes. <laughs> Um, it is, it had a $3 million budget and a $13 million box office. Uh, so I thought I'd start with a little bit on the cold war, you know, cause like, you know, if you're coming in, maybe you don't know what the cold war is, right? You know, we've got all these young people. The cold war was like a few years ago, right? More than 10, something like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Good idea. The Cold War is a term commonly used to refer to a period of geopolitical tension between the United States and the Soviet Union and their respective allies, the Western Bloc and the Eastern Bloc. The term Cold War is used because there was no large-scale fighting directly between the two superpowers, but they each supported opposing sides in major regional conflicts known as proxy wars. The conflict was based around the ideological and geopolitical struggle for global influence by these two superpowers, following their temporary alliance and victory against Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan in 1945. Aside from the nuclear arsenal development and conventional military deployment, the struggle for dominance was expressed via indirect means such as psychological warfare, propaganda campaigns, espionage, far-reaching embargoes, rivalry at sport events, and technological competitions such as the space race. Now, on to the film. In autumn of 1964, Hitchcock offered to let Vladimir Nabokov, Nabokov, the author of Lolita, who had successfully helped adapt his own novel to a well-regarded film directed by Stanley Kubrick in 1962, write the script. Although intrigued, Nabokov declined the project, feeling he knew very little about a political thriller. As the original focus of the plot was on the female lead, the spy's girlfriend, the script was commissioned early in 1965 to Irish-Canadian writer Brian Moore, who was known for successfully tackling female characters. His well-regarded first novel, Judith Heem, centers on an alcoholic Belfast spinster. In addition to this, Moore had adapted his own novel, The Luck of Ginger Coffee, into a film the previous year. Moore moved to Hollywood to work on the script. His five-page synopsis, completed on the 26th of March, 1965, already contained two key scenes of the film. Torn Curtain's opening aboard a cruise steamer in the Norwegian fjords, and the brutal killing of undercover agent Gromak by the American scientist and a farm woman. Moore's final draft, completed by June 21st, pleased neither Hitchcock nor Universal. It lacked the humor and sparkle characteristic of a Hitchcock film. On his part, Moore complained that Hitchcock had no concept of character and that he had a profound ignorance of human motivation. Strong words. Holy boy. Brian (laughs) Brian Moore's own dissatisfaction with the project was reflected in his novel Fergus from 1970, which features Bernard Boweri, an unsympathetic character based on Hitchcock. 
Hitchcock had to compromise in his casting choices. Initially, he wanted Eva Marie Saint, the blonde star of North by Northwest, for the female lead. Hitchcock also spoke in 1965 to Cary Grant about appearing in the film, only to learn that Grant intended to make just one more film and then retire. Hitchcock had wanted English actress Samantha Egger for the lead female role. Universal's Pictures executives insisted on famous stars being cast for their leads. Paul Newman and Julie Andrews were imposed on Hitchcock by Lou Wasserman, the studio executive, rather than being his real choices. The director felt that the stars were ill-suited to their roles, while their salaries of $750,000 took a big part of the film's $5 million budget. At the time, Julie Andrews was Hollywood's biggest star after the back-to-back successes of her films Mary Poppins and The Sound of Music. As she was much in demand, Andrew was only available for a short time period, and that meant that the production of the film was rushed, although Hitchcock was not yet satisfied with the script. Hitchcock surrounded Newman and Andrews with colorful supporting actors. Lila Kadrova, fresh from winning an Academy Award from Zorba the Greek, as the eccentric and flamboyantly dressed Countess... I don't know how to say this. Kuzinska? who helps Armstrong and Sherman in their escape in return for their sponsoring her to go to America. Tamara Tamanova, as the haughty prima prima ballerina whose limelight Armstrong steals when he arrives in East Berlin. Ludwig Donath, as the crotchety Professor Lint, eager to cut the chat and get down to business. And Wolfgang Keiling, as the sinister Hermann Gromek, the gum-chewing personal guide the East German authorities provide to shadow Armstrong's every move. Hitchcock initially wanted to shoot the film entirely on location in the Eastern Bloc, but could not because he refused to give East German officials a copy of his screenplay. Moore later said that Hitchcock probably could have secured filming permits in East Germany, Czechoslovakia, and Poland if he had tried harder. Principal photography of the film began on the 18th of October, 1965, on stage 18 at the Universal Backlot in Los Angeles. The shooting schedule lasted three months, including a two-week hiatus, while Paul Newman recuperated from a chin infection. Filming was completed in mid-February, 1966. Although unexcited about his leading actress, Hitchcock was always very polite with Julie Andrews. About her experience making the film, Andrews commented, I did not have to act in Torn Curtain. I merely went along for the ride. I don't feel that the part demanded much of me other than to look glamorous, which Mr. Hitchcock can always arrange better than anyone. I did have reservations about this film, but I wasn't agonized by it. The kick of it was working for Hitchcock. That's what I did it for, and that's what I got out of it. The working relationship between Hitchcock and Newman was problematic. Newman came from a different generation of actors, from the likes of Cary Grant and James Stewart. He questioned Hitchcock about the script and the characterizations throughout filming. Hitchcock later said he found Newman's manner and approach unacceptable and disrespectful. Newman insisted that he meant no disrespect toward Hitchcock and once said, I think Hitch and I could have really hit it off, but the script kept getting in the way. When Newman, a method actor, consulted Hitchcock about his character's motivations, the director replied, Motivation is your salary. Furthermore, as Hitchcock discovered, the the expected on-screen chemistry between Newman and Andrews failed to materialize. Unsatisfied with the actors cast in the leads, Hitchcock shifted the point of view of the plot from the defecting scientist's wife to the American amateur spy, and he centered his attention in the colorful international characters, international actors who played supporting roles in the film. Lila Kadrova was Hitchcock's favorite among the cast. He ate lunch with her several times during filming and invited her home for dinner with his wife. Although the length of the film was shortened in post-production, Hitchcock left intact Countess Kuzienka's scenes in the final film. The film had two scores. The first was written by Bernard Herrmann, a recurrent contributor to Hitchcock's work. Hitchcock and Universal asked Herrmann for a pop and jazz-influenced soundtrack, but and, and even hoped Herrmann might write a song for lead actress Julie Andrews to perform. However, the score Herrmann provided was not what Hitchcock and the studio wanted, and his revisions failed to satisfy them. Hitchcock and Herrmann ended their longtime collaboration, and John Addison was approached to write the score. Although the Addison score was issued commercially in 1966 and has been re-released, the Herman score has been re-recorded and reissued several times, eclipsing that by Adams in terms of available versions. Paul Newman was uh, an American actor, 
film director, race car driver, philanthropist, and entrepreneur. He was the recipient of numerous awards, including an Academy Award, a BAFTA Award, three Golden Globe Awards, a Screen Actors Guild Award, a Primetime Emmy Award, a Silver Bear, a Cannes Film Festival Award, and the Gene Hersholt Humanitarian Award. Dame Julie Andrews. What's a dame? Is that like a sir? Are you like knighted? Yeah, it's the female equivalent to being knighted. So you receive a knighthood if you're a guy and a damehood if you are a lady. Okay, interesting. So Dame Julie Andrews uh, was an English actress, singer, and author, or is, let me rephrase that, is still around, right? Yeah, yeah, she's still alive. I don't know. The minute you said the minute you said was, I was like, I got read it. Listen, when she goes, England falls. So <laughs> she's listening to the podcast. She's listening to the podcast. Chris, get in touch with her and get her to come on the show. Can you imagine? <laughs> is an English actress, singer, and author. She is one of the last surviving leading actresses from the golden age of Hollywood. She has garnered numerous accolades throughout her career, spanning over seven decades, including an Academy Award, a British Academy Film Award, two Primetime Emmy Awards, three Grammy Awards, and six Golden Globe Awards. She's also received three Tony Award nominations. Andrew was made a Disney legend in 1991 and has been honored with an honorary Golden Lion, the Screen Actors Guild Lifetime Achievement Award in 2007 and the AFI Life Achievement Award in 2022. In 2000, Andrews was made a dame by Queen Elizabeth II for service to the performing arts. Okay, this is going to be a tough name to say. Yelizaveta Nikolavena Kedrova was known as Lila Kedrova. And she was a Russian-born French actress. She won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Zorba the Creek and the Tony Award for Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Musical for the same role in the musical version of the film. And Hans-Jörg Fellmi uh, was a German actor who appeared in 50 films and television shows between 1957 and 95. Films like Der Stan, Ver Afrika, and Wir Wonder Kinder made him a well-known actor in the late 1950s. He started the film The Marriage of Mrs. Mr. Mississippi in 1961, which was entered into the 11th Berlin International Film Festival. In the popular German television crime series Tator, he played police investigator Heinz Haferkamp from 1974 to 1980. In an international film appearance, he played the Stasi officer Heinrich Gerhard in Alfred Hitchcock's Torn Curtain, who hunts the leading characters played by Julie Andrews and Paul Newman. And last but not least, Hitchcock's cameo comes about 10 minutes into the film, and he's holding a baby on his lap. There you go. Excellent. Okay, Tom, why don't you give us your initial impressions on the film? I enjoyed the film. It is a bit of a longer piece to watch. It's a little more demanding on the viewer to follow all of the um, the spy activity and who's betraying who and things like that. And um, but it is, you know, we talked a little bit about it in your summary about how. The film wasn't exactly a perfect production for Hitchcock, and I think a little bit of that comes across on the screen. It comes across, I don't know, what's the term, a little dry or perhaps a little gray. Um, But again, an entertaining film, there were some highlights for me, which um, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the bus chase scene. I really enjoyed the scene in in the theater uh, with the crowd rushing out and things like that were highlights of the film that made it worth it. Mm-hmm. But I think like Chris alluded to, um, a little bit longer than it could have been, but overall an enjoyable film. So for me, it was, it it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad film. I think it's just very mid tier for me in terms of Hitchcock. Cause it seems like he, it was a lot of repeating of the same themes and everything, which we've discussed. There's nothing wrong with repeating the same themes in a film, but it just seems quite tired when it comes to here. Um, I think the parts that really work for me, the supporting cast are great. I think all the character actors are fantastic. I think they're you know really enjoyable. I agree with Tom. I really like the bus uh, chase scene. I like the theater scene in theory. I think that's you know really enjoyable that sort of thing. I think my main issue is there's a lot of 
there's two things. First of which is that Paul Newman and Julie Andrews have zero chemistry together. Mm-hmm. There's in no way in any scene they're in do I buy them as a romantic couple who are like you know fighting countries for each other. I just I don't, and it's unfortunate. I think it was really miscast. But they're both, you know, incredible actors, and so it's like, okay, it's just down to that particular role and everything. The second issue I have is with the pacing. So, I, you know, I said to Brandon before the start, I think this should have been a 90, 100 minute. I think there's easily 20, 30 minutes you could have taken out here to speed it up, because there's scenes like um, the murder of Gromek, which are fantastic. For me, it's the best scene in the whole thing. And it's probably more harrowing than some of Hitchcock's horror murder scenes. Yeah. But it happens in like the first, it sort of happens just before the halfway point of the film. It, it, you know, from what I'd heard about this, I thought, oh, it's going to be towards the end and it's part of the giant chase sequence. It's not, it happens really early. Mm-hmm. It's shockingly early. And it's just, in terms of the pacing and everything, it's like you get introduced to characters who then are quickly either killed off or shuffled away, and then you have new characters who are shoved in at the end and given a lot of importance. It's like the ballerina, you know, this kind of prima ballerina. She has, she suddenly becomes sort of like the last villain mm-hmm. in like the last 20 minutes, and I would have really appreciated a bit of setup for that. Um, the Countess, who, she's a, she's a fun character, she's great. But the problem is she's only in that sort of 10-minute slice of the film. Yeah. And I remember a review of Torn Curtain saying, oh, it's almost a bit like this This should have been taken out and put into like its own, like Alfred Hitchcock Presents or something. And I'm like, I don't disagree with it because she's a great actress. It's a, it's a fun role. It is the most colourful, flamboyant role in the film. But, again, you, you, it's just... it's. I would have preferred seeing her before then. It would have given a bit more of a through line throughout the film. So for me, ultimately, it's about pacing. I just think it's a very weirdly paced mm-hmm. uh, film, and that really detracted from my um, enjoyment of it. I'm going to come to the defense of the ballerina a little bit, because you said that um, you would appreciate a bit more setup on that one there, but I think there was enough setup on that one, because she was on the plane with him right at the beginning, and they thought that they were going to take pictures of her, but they were t- turned out to be taking pictures of Paul Newman, right? So she remembered him and was mad at him for that, and that's why his face stuck out so much at the when she saw him at the ballet. So I I agree and disagree because yes, she is there at the beginning of everything. I just it's the weird thing where she suddenly she I think it's the degree to which she becomes suddenly very important in the you know she has that moment on the plane and then it. Next time you see her, she's performing the theatre. Yeah. She goes into the wings, and all of a sudden, she's peering through the camera. She's like, "Look, it's it's the American. He's you know betraying or whatever." And then she get she's the one who in the last in the finale where they're trying to escape to Sweden. Yeah. Um, she's the one who's like, "Oh well, it's them. They're in the boxes. Shoot them!" And it's, just, it's that it, felt weird. That ending felt yeah. Weird. The, the 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 finale is weird because then it's the fake out ending, which I'm like, oh, okay, fine, you know, it, it's. Do you know what it is? It, there's moments of levity in this, which I really don't mind. I think it's great, but the problem is this is the same film where you have the, one of the most harrowing sequences of someone being murdered mm-hmm. over the course of like a five minute uninterrupted sort of murder sequence, yeah. and it just feels really weird that they've obviously tried to shoehorn in like bits of comedy. Like the last bit where, you know, they're huddling around the fire and the photographer's trying to take photos, and I'm like, this is a really weird ending. Yes. The whole ending, it just threw me off a bit. Um, but like I said, there's definitely elements to this I really like. Um, for me, in terms of who was my favourite actor in it, it's the uh, it's the actress who plays the farmer's wife. Okay. Yeah. She, for me, because she, she, you know, doesn't speak English, that sort of thing, but God, she's good. Yeah. She says so much with just like a look, and she has to do. She's the one with the knife, and she's the one who goes through that. And I just think, I was like, oh, you are amazing. It's a real shame that you didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm not really looked into her, but I'm, she, she's not like a household name or anything. Yeah. So it's a shame she didn't get to do more after this. Yeah, that scene, the murder scene, is like definitely the best scene in the film. Like it's, it was mm. done so that yeah. Hitchcock could be like, oh, this is actually how hard it can be to kill somebody, actually, right? It mm. can be actually very, very hard to do that. But Gromek is my favorite character in the film. Like that guy 
that guy stole the film. He's like just the way he's constantly like chewing gum and he's just got like this arrogant attitude and he he's like, "Oh, I've been to America. You know, you know that <laughs> pizza place." You know, like just uh, his whole attitude was just amazing and the guy just blew it out of the park, like completely yeah. blasted the did a home run on that role. And I, I completely loved it, which is why the death sequence for me was so amazing because he's such a vile character throughout it. Like he's just so slimy, you know, yeah. but I loved it. But it's, it's shocking it happened so early because you think, oh, he's going to be like the main villain. Yeah. And they, they sort of psycho him. They get rid of him halfway and you're like, oh, okay. So what's going to be what's gonna happening after this or what's going to be the thing? Which I suppose narratively is interesting, but it really throws you off for the rest of the film because it sort of... It, you know, like you said when you were going through kind of like how the film shifted, it shifts like the first third is on Julie Andrews's. Uh, do you know what's bad? I can't even remember her name. Uh, I can't remember the character's name. Sarah. 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 Thank you. So it focuses on Sarah, and then it jumps to Paul Newman again. Can't remember his name. Um, Michael. Michael. Oh, that was it, because the end, it, the last thing she says is, Michael, yeah. Um, it jumps to them, and then it's the pair of them together. And I'm like, that's quite a cool concept, but it's just, for me, it felt quite disjointed, and the plot felt a bit convoluted for me. Yeah. Um, but I've sat through I've sat through worse spy films. Yeah. I've sat through so many worse, like terrible spy films, and this wasn't terrible to me. I just think it could have done with a bit more um, editing. Yeah. So my my initial impression of the film, I, I really enjoyed it. Like there's a lot of really great sequences in here, but there's a lot of like messiness. Like it is, it does feel very long. Julie Anders and Paul Newman don't have a lot of chemistry, but I mean, like there's some plot elements that I'm just like, what? Um, like the Paul Newman's character's justification for what he's doing here. Like, I, I don't know. Like I'm completely lost on this. Help me figure this out. So he, he he built something that's like an anti-nuclear weapon weapon and he mm. can't figure it out. So he didn't even build it. He can't figure it out. And the government of the United States decided to kibosh his funding. But there's this scientist in East Germany who's perfected uh, the formula for what he needs in order to do this. Okay. So he decides to go to East Germany to get this information from this guy as a spy but the U.S. government doesn't actually know that he's doing this. So, like, what's going to happen to him when he comes back? Like, they're just going to be yeah. like, no, you're a defector. No, I wasn't really defecting. I was just doing this. They're like, dude, you were on TV? Like, like, no, you're going to jail now, traitor. Is that yeah. is that kind of a, a leap of faith or, uh, you know, a plot point that they just want you to kind of glance over or... Is that a major flaw, right? I don't know. It just seems yeah. like weird. I don't know. <laughs> to me, that's that's a bizarre, and like it makes me like really question what's going on with this guy here. But I don't know. Maybe maybe most people just gloss over that one here. Maybe I misunderstood something. But that's the impression that I got. He's over there as a spy, and the U.S. government doesn't even know that he's over there. Right. Yeah. It's a bit like a sort of 60s Edward Snowden situation where you're just like, well, honey, I hope you enjoy salted fish because we are staying in Sweden. <laughs> There is no way I'm going to be allowed back in the States after... Yeah, because that'd be such an easy thing to be like, oh, well, whoops, turns out I'm I'm not actually a traitor, I promise. It's like, no, they would absolutely, at minimum, he would be arrested and thrown into jail for something. Yeah. So it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a... I guess you'd call it like a character plot hole or not fleshed out character motivation. Yeah, so... Anywho, Tom, uh, what do you what are your thoughts? What do you think about that? That's the trickier part of the film to follow all the backstabbing and the secret agenting, and I think yeah, maybe they wanted us to just kind of glance over that and allow that he would get away with it from the Americans. Yeah. Um. But again, yeah, like it's kind of the whole film kind of comes across half constructed. So I think we're kind of used to maybe just letting that part go, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that whole return to America could have been a second film, right? It could have been the sequel. Oh. How is he dealt with when he comes back to America? Or even like that's the end of Act Two. Is they you know dive off the ship? They're picked up in Sweden, great. But then the next third or the last third is like, okay, 
how are we actually going to deal with the ramifications of this? Although you're right, it could be a completely different film. There is a lot of more... There's more story in that than in the weird... Okay, we're in you know, East Berlin, we've got to try and work out how to get out and, you know, all that sort of thing. I would find that a bit more interesting than what we what we ended up with. So the last, you think the last third could have been that, so you're saying this should have been an hour longer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying there is 15 minutes in the first two that you could easily trim out. Plenty of characters who, you know, I don't get me wrong, I love the supporting character work, but there's stuff in that and I'm like, Oh, this doesn't. You know, you don't. You don't actually need to be here. Sometimes you need to kill your darlings, and just kind of go. Sorry, but we're gonna have to. You know, you you can be on the torn curtain extended director's cut or something. I don't know. Um, But I one thing I will say, and I I know Tom just mentioned this. I love that that bus sequence. Yes, that bus sequence is amazing. I've never yelled at an old woman. I'm like, get on the bus. (laughs) Get on it. Um, do you remember in Birds in the cafe in the restaurant the woman who was screaming? Yes, yes. Right, and she's like, "This is horror," you know, like she's very, very off, off the edge or whatever. She totally yeah. reminded. I think you're evil. I totally flashed back to her with the woman on the bus who was yelling. Yeah, like everybody. There's all these conspirators, all of these gorilla under you know undercover sort of citizen on patrol people on the bus that are helping pull off this big uh con and then she's like just off the hook and she's like ah you know like she was so dramatic and so loud and i was so happy when they kicked her off the bus (laughs) um but yeah no that that bus sequence was unique it was different and it was dramatic and it was exciting Mm -hmm. and we were other than the really obvious rear screen video per film projection, like the backgrounds being very yeah, but that's Hitchcock. Done. That's but Hitchcock. that was of the era, right? That was of the era. The, Back the, then, yeah. people would have would have appreciated that. But the bad one um, was when they're actually sitting there eating dinner, and the backdrop of the restaurant is rear projection. That's yes. like, come on, build a bigger. And it's Hitchcock. really windy in the background, but their yes. table is not windy. <laughs> Not a hair out of place. They are like, oh god, it's so funny. We're not being affected by this wind. Build a set, Hitchcock. No, that, Come on, don't be a cheap. Do you, do you know that that was the last point I made, which is that some of the because some of it's really weird. Some of it is like rear projection, where it's like obviously it's a bit of um, God, what was the film? Uh, the Trouble with Harry, where you're walking through these fake yeah. trees. Oh no, oh no, no, not Trouble with Harry. Um, yeah, North by Northwest. No, no, North by oh. Northwest, where it's clearly such a fake set with fake trees and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Trouble with Harry, they had real yes. trees and no plot. Um, whereas with this, there was such a weird mix of, oh, this is clearly shot somewhere in Europe, great, but then when you do the coverage, it's so clearly a set. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so, it just, it really throws you off. I wonder if it's because, again, we're viewing this through a 21st century lens on TVs and it's more noticeable. Yeah. It might not have been back then, so it's like, okay, it's fine. But it's just really noticeable when you're there looking like, oh, real street, real street, real street. And that is a set, and that is just a random person walking by. Like, it's the you know the man who knew too much, and you're walking through the bazaar. Mm-hmm. Like, that sort of level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. The, the, other, the other part of the film that kind of took me aside was, and I, you know, again, it's a, a thing of the era. Back then, would it have been different if you were in a theater? So, at one point... You know, Michael and Sarah are sitting in the theater watching the drama unfold on the stage, and they're they're hiding. This is their getaway. You know, they're going to be rescued or whatever. And we notice it's very compelling. It's very dramatic when all the soldiers start coming into the theater to surround them, and two by two by two, and there's like twelve armed soldiers there to capture them. And so Michael's clever way of getting out of it is yelling fire. But did it not seem hyper-reactive that immediately the entire theater starts rushing out of the theater? Like maybe, And maybe, again, of the time they were used to having theater fires, they were more of a problem or whatever. But I, I just had to make the comparison to, could you imagine modern day, the same scenario if somebody yelled fire in a theater? Because everybody would be getting out their cell phones and shooting video and phoning yeah. their, their mom and dad to find out what to do and 
everyone, I don't want to leave. You know, we paid. <laughs> I paid for this ticket. I want to watch the end of the play. Yeah. But know, back in 1965. Show me a fire. Back in 1965 in East Germany, man, they had fires in the movie theaters at least once a week. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the play was that bad that they're all like, thank God, a reason to leave. <laughs> they were all like, this ballerina just will not shut up. And you're like, she's not speaking. It's like, that's not the point. I'm just waiting for her to just just be done with it. Um, yeah. But it's maybe that a point of um, the film wasn't keeping my attention enough that I'm drifting off and thinking about other things like that. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely checked my phone a lot during this. Uh-oh. No good. No good. Back in the day, they didn't have cell phones, so they could they just had to suffer. So, um, I don't know. Like, I didn't hate this movie though. Like, I think like, it's just I, I really liked a lot of the sequences in it. You know, like like a lot of the stuff yes. with the you know the conversation he had on the tractor with the with the guy with the farmer. You know, was really really good. Um, the stuff with the uh, uh, professor when they were when he was giving him nothing but trying to get the formula like that whole sequence was mm. really well done as well you know like there's so there was a lot of really good stuff in here it's just it's just i don't know if i'd blame the writing or not I, like honestly i would have to blame the writing on this because this wasn't written by hitchcock you know yeah. like i can't even really blame like julie andrews and, and paul newman they weren't terrible in this movie no I'm sure they didn't really have chemistry but i mean like i've seen movies where people don't have chemistry before you know but I, I think I gotta lump this up with the writer. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's sort of it's just a film that is less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Where you think you know, if you were to describe it, you go, okay, so it's a spy thriller, Cold War, Paul Newman, Julie Andrews going through, and that sounds great. And then you actually watch it, and you're like, something do- isn't clicking. It's not gelling. Whether it's the like you said, it's the writing, or if it's the editing, or if it's the pacing. You know, there's lots of things that are great about this. You know, if it's the characters, if it's some of the sequences, if it's the, you know, whatever. But for some reason, it's just not cohesive. And there are plenty of films that do that. You know, there were some films last year where you're like, oh, this sounds great on paper. And then you watch it and you're like, something isn't clicking. And you can't put your finger on it. But sometimes it is down to the directing or the writing. So... Yeah, it's it, it it's a bit of a disappointment this film for me, but it isn't it isn't terrible. It's not a disaster. It's far from the worst Hitchcock film I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean this is this is Mrs. and Mrs. Smith, okay? Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they had no chemistry, but at no stage was I there hoping that Paul Newman and uh, Julie Andrews would fall into a wood chipper. Yeah, that never happened. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But, I mean, like, beyond that, though, like, I don't know that there's much else to talk about on the film either. Like, it's not, like, mm. a standout film, you know? It's not like, oh, man, like, mm. we, like those couple of sequences that we've talked about are really, really amazing. And, yeah, the rest of it is a little dry and long. So, you know, this is yeah. this is definitely a lower entry in the Hitchcock uh, oeuvre. How do you say it? Oeuvre? Uver, Uvra. Uvra. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like for me, like, like without giving my rating quite yet, like, even though I give it a pretty high rating, I mean, this is still in my ranking of all of his films. I've got this at number 23 of his, like, oh, okay. you know, so like right in the middle, like this is a mid tier for me. Yeah. So, but is there any, any other parts of the film you guys want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed that you wanted to address yet, Tom? I'm okay. I think, um, I think we've done a pretty good coverage of the film so far, mm-hmm. and I, I agree, not really a highlight, um, and maybe is it, we've had so many killer films from Hitchcock in the last five or ten films that we've covered, that maybe it's it's paling in comparison, right? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Chris, anything else? Yeah, I... No, I mean, I agree with Tom, to be honest, because looking back on the films we covered just before this, it's like we were coming off such a hot streak of really good, really solid, enjoyable films. And this is the first sort of downturn we've had in a good while, yeah. I would say. So I would agree. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah I'm, not, I'm not mad at this film. Um, like I said, it's far from the worst we've ever covered. If if we do like a ranking when we've covered them all, and you actually go through and go, right, well, this is the thing, I can easily see this being... Um, middle of the pack. Yeah, okay, excellent. Yeah, Tom, how many minutes of out of five 
how 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 many minutes of five does it take you to kill Gromek? Um, that damn leather jacket, or that <laughs> the creaking leather jacket and the chewing gum. That was like. I don't know. I got all ASMR on that. Um, I'm reading this at three out of five. Three minutes to kill. Okay. Chris, how many minutes of five did it take you to kill Gromek? Well, it would take me both three minutes out of five, and it would also be three rusty knives that apparently break off really easily after you stab someone, which isn't a thing that I knew about. Yeah, yeah, three out of five for me. So I'm going to be a little bit generous on this one here, because, again, the sequences that I liked, I really, really, really liked. I loved the bus sequence. I love the death of Gromek. I loved the banter between uh, Paul Newman and the professor and whatnot. And I, I am not going to punish Hitchcock for this too badly. Um, like I said, I'll punish the writer, but I'm going to give it a four because I don't do halves. I'd probably give it a three and a half if I was given halves, but because it's definitely not a three in my opinion. Like it's not, it, it's, it's a pretty good movie. So, so I'm going to give it four minutes to kill Gromek. So. You know that that farm wife retrieved that half knife and put it back in the cutlery drawer. <laughs> it still has an edge. It's still fine. You can, I've taken the blood good, off. Perfectly good knife. You can still use that. Yeah. And uh, look, she, she gassed Gromex. So they've got something to eat, so they'll be fine. That is nuts that they buried the motorcycle. <laughs> oh my god, yeah! Like, you could have just drove it, you know... <laughs> 10 miles somewhere and thrown it in a ditch or off a or hill. buried it on that property. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's a bad spy decision. Shame on you. You need to go back to spy school, people. They they preferred to undig the uh, motorcycle than to bring up the corpse on camera as part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Right on. Okay, Tom, where can people find you on the social medias or whatever when you're not uh, helping me to kill Gromek? Um, The highlight of my life lately, other than hanging out with you guys, has been on TikTok as DJ Tommy 3000 where I drop 80s, 90s rock and roll, hip-hop, disco tracks and have fun and do silly little videos and a barbecue steak and tell people how to do things. So check me out on TikTok. It's totally worth the time spent. Worth every penny? Worth every wow. penny. <laughs> Chris, where can people find you when you're not on screen ruining your completely terrible chemistry with Julie Andrews? <laughs> I'm like, how dare you? Every British person has immaculate chemistry with Julie Andrews. Um, on twi- I'm Fine, on ruining Twitter, your you can... chemistry with Paul Newman. <laughs> Oh, he's so, he's, I mean, one thing, he's so good looking in this film, my God. Um, on Twitter, I'm at higher underscore boy, where I'll be just talking about all kinds of nonsense. I am on TikTok, if you can find me, say hi. It's just a book talk account, so don't worry about it, it's nothing major. Um, but yeah, just come say hi on Twitter. Um, if If Twitter still exists by the time this comes out, in which case, we'll announce it somehow. So, yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) Excellent, right on. And as for me, uh, the only place you can find me right now is on my OnlyFans site called called Hitchcock. (laughs) (laughs) No! I'm not going to even bother. This is a (laughs) family-friendly show, Brandon. (laughs) I'll do that again. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm, no, keep it in, keep it in. How dare you! I was ruined for you. We were all ruined for you. Jeez, well, the only place you can find laugh. me, I'm actually not on social media. <laughs> What's that? No, I'm saying I that, didn't hear what you that, said there. I was saying that knocked a laugh out of me. Jeez. <laughs> Proof that even an OnlyFans account can fail. <laughs> oh, harsh. Anyway, sorry. Well, Go as on. for me, yeah. I'm not really on social media anymore. I'm like absent. I've completely deleted my Twitter account. Like it's been so long now, I can't even get it back. So I'm not on Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook account, but literally the only thing I'm doing on Facebook is I'm in like groups to buy used Blu-rays and stuff. So like that's literally all I'm doing on Facebook. I'm not posting anything. Uh, but the only place I'm active, I guess, is Letterboxd. If you want to follow me 
rating and ranking movies and whatnot, Letterbox is really the only place to uh, follow me and find me. So, Brandon's one of these real world guys. It's like drop by and have a coffee and have a chat. In the yeah, I don't have world. a cell phone. I have no cell phone at all. In the still. real world. Yeah, in the real world. Um, you can find the show on Twitter at Good Evening Pod. Uh, we are available on the Fandom Podcast Network as well. You can find us over there in their feed, as well as our own independent feed. Uh, just want to thank uh, and remind everybody about Annie and Catherine's show, Good Evening and Alfred Hitchcock Presents Podcast, where they cover all of Hitch's films, or sorry, all of Hitch's episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show. Uh, they are on a, an indeterminate hiatus as well right now, so uh, they're taking a bit of time off but uh that's a fun show always good to check out and who else oh jason thank you for jason it's been a year. Yeah, yeah it's amazing, been a year i forgot our amazing what theme song jason Colomore. thanks buddy we still love your theme it's still great and yeah i guess that's about it if i missed it i'll figure it out for next time so what do we got next time i don't remember what's next after this here let me open up my awesome collection of movies that i got for 25 dollars and see what comes up next here. So we just did Torn Curtain. Topaz. Ooh. Topaz is next. Yeah, we only got three left, guys. Topaz and then Frenzy and Family Plot. So we're we're coming up to the end here. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to find another hobby. Uh what have you been doing for the last year? DJ Tommy three thousand. There you go. <laughs> You can open up an OnlyFans account. I've been entertaining uh, fans of 80s music 10 people at a time on my DJ Tommy account. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. It is, every time it pops up, I'm always like, oh, this is quite good. Unfortunately, when you pop up, it's usually 3 in the morning for me, and I'm like, I need to, I need to go to bed. I need to sleep, but it's always really fun. So, yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Excellent. Right on, guys. Good to see you all again. Yeah, good yes. to see you. It's been a year. It's been a year. The last uh, last one, we're gonna. this is coming out in March, was March last year, and then I think it was April there that you did that uh, Gone Girl one. With uh, Manisha, With uh, Manish friend there. of the pod. So, yeah, so it's nice to be back. We will definitely, uh, definitely do that for you guys. Uh, but until next time, good evening. Good evening. Good evening.